0: So suffering transcends all uh, people. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter uh, what your color is. It doesn't matter what your IQ is. It doesn't matter what your financial wealth is. We all suffer. Reality is the wealthiest man on the planet could die today. I mean, that's just reality with all the advances of medicine and different things that happen We know that people suffer and people die and people hurt. And uh, suffering transcends each and every one of us. It's kind of a common denominator that that pulls us all together. Now, in this room right here, we walk in and some of you have experienced suffering. Uh, You get the news that the baby inside your womb has got some birth defects. We've dealt with that over the last weeks and months with what we do. And it's like, man, it's, it's sad. Um, we get the word where uh, a guy or a woman walks out on their family and all of a sudden there's devastation. I was talking, here's something interesting. I was talking to my buddy Ronnie, who's a Christian counselor. And he said, brother, he said, do you realize right now today that it's two to one women leaving their families more than the men? I said, two to one. He said, two to one. He said, there's more women checking out and pursuing their own thing than even the guys. We walk in here and we get news at times that it's stage four. It's terminal. Don't know if we can do anything about it. And some of us have had to fight through that news over the last weeks and months of our life. Uh, We get the word that uh, I'm suffering. I'm hurting. My child is starting to experiment with a gay lifestyle people suffer. We've gotten the word where people walk in and say, hey, my child is living the prodigal life right now. They're experimenting at a heavy level with alcohol and drugs. That happens. And so suffering transcends all people groups. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're at in life. Each and every one of us uh, are kind of invited into this fallen world to participate in pain. Doesn't sound attractive, but it's a reality. And so much of suffering at times seems random. It seems uh, meaningless. It almost appears undeserved if we're not careful. We wonder at times, what did I really do to deserve this? Anybody ever been there? What, What did I do? I mean, we were honoring God. We were in the word. We were going to church. We... What did I do to deserve this? If God really loves me, then why would he let this happen to me? Anybody anybody ever been there? Yeah, yeah. If God really loved me and cared about me the way you say and the Bible says he does, does God really know? Does God really care? Can God really do anything about my junk right now? I think a lot of people get lost in the shuffle. And, uh, A lot of people, because of having an inaccurate view of God, they end up rebelling or walking away from God and drifting from God when tragedy and suffering knocks on their door. Job suffered in mind-blowing ways, leaving a trail of chaos when you read it. Now, I've pondered Job, and I've studied Job much over the years. All of a sudden, God tells Job that uh, Satan demanded... They kind of jack with you, and I let him do it. So it's almost like God is saying, uh, look, look at Satan, Job. He's the one that wanted to mess with you. Job pretty much concludes, uh, no, it was God. It, it was God that let this go down. Job's friends show up and look at Job and say, no, Job, it's your issue. Have you ever noticed that when tragedy or pain or chaos or suffering happens, human nature is to point fingers and we're so quick to blame because something inside of us believes that it has to be the fault of somebody. We're going to break this down in a few weeks just when kids rebel and we're left there as parents going what did I do wrong? Did I jack it up? Did I not lay the right foundation? I was having this conversation and Dallas last week with some friends of mine. Barb and I have known these people for 20 plus years and their 18 year old is rebelling greatly with drugs and alcohol. And she goes, I just feel like I've blown it as a parent. You ever been there? What did I go? Where did I go wrong? And I looked at her and I'll build on this on May 21st, but I said, if anybody ever really sucked as a parent it was God. She goes how? I said, he puts Adam and Eve on the planet and they rebelled and they have two kids and one of them ends up killing the other one. If anybody really had a terrible track record of parenting, it was God, right? And she goes, I've never even thought about that. No, no, but he really wasn't a bad parent. He was really loving. He extended freedom. And what we do with our freedom oftentimes is what jacks us up. It's crazy to think about, is it not? So we encounter pain, suffering, but we've got to point the finger. And even the church is kind of cute at times of trying to explain away suffering. Just stay with me. Yeah, I mean, there's suffering going on, so we'll come alongside and say things like, well, you know, God is sovereign. What does that mean when you're in the midst of hurt and pain and tragedy? and Chaos. I mean, God's sovereign, brother. Yeah. You know, God's up to something good. Uh, Okay. Or people will say... uh, you, you got to have more faith. That's the problem. I was talking to my friends Jeff and Jamie, and Jeff got a letter from a pastor in the Midwest when his son died of a brain tumor. And this pastor that didn't even know Jeff wrote him and said, undoubtedly there's sin in your life. Something's jacked up, right? Something's wrong. For you to go through what you're going through, somebody's to blame. My friend Tim Hewlett, he was playing uh, with the Baltimore Orioles. It was July of 1992. Tim and Linda had four sons. They had Tug and Joe and Jeff and Sam. And Tim's on a road trip playing against the Chicago White Sox. I'll never forget this. July of 1992. And uh, Tim gets a phone call while he's at the ballpark. Uh, you're, uh, you've you got to go back home. There's, there's tragedy. His four boys were playing in a park and decided that, hey, we're going to try to beat each other back home, and they sprinted across the uh, road, and when they did, little Sam didn't make it, and uh, Sam got hit by a car, and Tim had to fly back, and the next day at Johns Hopkins Hospital, Tim had to unplug his little dude from life support. Now, Tim and Linda have been friends with Barb and I for years, and they're still very close to us today, and Tug's one of my best little buddies, And but I remember it was about two weeks later, Tim was back with the team, and they were playing in Anaheim, and Tim and I were talking on the phone, and we were about 45 minutes into a conversation, just, how are you doing? Are you okay? And then I posed the question to Tim. I said, are you sick and tired of people quoting Romans 8.28 to you? And he goes, brother, I cannot believe you said that. I know people mean well, but they're trying to minimize the pain. Hey, all things work together for good. God is sovereign. And God is sovereign. I'll never doubt God's sovereignty. But sometimes in the midst of pain and suffering, we need permission to struggle. We need permission to hurt. We need permission to grieve. And the church, oftentimes, and people that are well-meaning, we don't know what to do. So we try to use these little cute cliches and catchphrases that we feel like, well, and sometimes it don't work. It just don't work. And oftentimes, the greatest thing we can do is just sit there and listen. So here's some things I want to draw your attention to, and I want you to think about it. What do we know about suffering from Scripture. I'm going to jog through five things, and then I want to give you some some kind of meat to chew on. People often suffer from self-inflicted wounds. Much of the suffering that we see today are because people have made choices and done things themselves that create the issues that they're facing. Each and every one of us, if we get gut level honest, we would conclude that we can be our own worst enemy. We do a lot of things that are crazy. You go back and look at Scripture. Adam and Eve, man, you had a perfect environment. You're hanging out with a holy God. It's just y'all. And the wound that they had and the suffering that they experienced was self-inflicted. God said, don't eat off this one tree. They're like, we'll do whatever we want to do. God tells a dude, Jonah, I just want you to do one thing. I just want you to go to Nineveh and proclaim against that city their wickedness and just, just tell them to repent. Jonah's like, not doing it. And we never read in Scripture about this messy fish story if Jonah just obeyed God. Think about it. I mean, we don't even read about it. So, Jonah's wounds and suffering and grief was self inflicted. Uh, David, king, a person of authority, he decides that the girl next door sunbathing and taking a bath and her nakedness was so attractive, got to have it. God says, David, the sword will never depart from your house. What he did was brutal. Then you read about Judas. I mean, Judas was one of the twelve that Christ had selected, and Judas willfully sold Jesus out for a bag of silver, goes out and hangs himself. The the scripture is replete with people that went through suffering, pain, grief, and turmoil because of self-inflicted wounds. And some of us sit in here today. And what we're dealing with right now is all self-inflicted it's something we did we didn't honor god we didn't believe god was good we didn't trust the goodness of god and we tried to get our needs met apart from christ and doing our own thing and it's reality people hurt and then the collateral damage other people hurt here's a second thing people oftentimes suffer because of the sins of others I mean, people suffer because of the sins of others. God would never endure some of the sin and the wickedness and the evil that people get in, but yet we see people suffer. Again, looking at narratives in the scripture Bathsheba, she was somewhat innocent. I'm just going to take a bath. She didn't invite the king to take her, to lay with her, to kill her husband and everything that went down. She was she was just Bathing. I mean, I bathe every day. It's not an invitation for somebody to kill me or kill my spouse. And sometimes we suffer because of the decisions of others. Daniel was just obeying God. And Daniel's like, man, I just want to honor God with my life. And Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked king. And Daniel ends up going through great turmoil. Him and Ananias, Azariah and Mishael, I mean, they went through hell because of the wickedness and the rule of that day. Uh, Tamar is a great uh, narrative to study. If you study the life of Tamar in the book of Genesis, one of her brothers, a guy by the name of Amnon, pretends he's sick. He's really attracted to his half-sister and he begs that she can come feed him and she does and when she does, he rapes her. But what did Tamar do wrong? Absalom burned with such violence and hatred that he ends up killing Amnon. I mean, Sometimes we suffer because of the sins of others. I mean, you look at Paul, once he got it right with God and really repented and has his Damascus Road experience, you read 2 Corinthians 11, and he talks about, I was shipwrecked and I was beaten and 39 lashes. And so we, we come in here today and some of our wounds are self-inflicted and suffering. And sometimes we suffer because of the evil around us. A, a third thing is people just get sick and die. After sin entered into the world back in Genesis, reality is it disrupted humanity at every level. So we live in this world of sickness and disease and illnesses, and we just get sick and die. I mean, wish it wasn't that way. Even the miracle that we pray for today is still eventually going to end in the death of someone. What, What happened? It just... We live in a fallen world. Jesus shows up in the grief and death of his friends with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. I mean, he cries and he hurts with them because he knows it's part of the fallen nature. Uh, people suffer because of natural disasters. You can turn on the news and watch it every day. I mean, this is tornado season. Katrina, Drew. others have kind of pounded the coastlines of the U.S. with the hurricanes or whatever, and you see... Thousands of people dying and millions of people without power, electricity, food. And it's like, man, natural disasters. Why did that come about? It's because man sinned against God and rebelled against God. One of the other main reasons I think that we see suffering happen is because we have an enemy that absolutely hates us. And one of the great things that we can conclude is Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And each and every one of us, he's wanting to pounce on us and damage, destroy, and disrupt our lives. And so we sit here today going, there really is an enemy. He roars around like a lion seeking just anyone to devour. God's good. God's sovereign. God really is in control. But these reasons, and many more. We sit here today and we go, that's why we suffer. And, and there's not one answer and there's not one single formula that we can just kind of put everybody in the same category with because our sufferings vary. Make sense? Come on. I want you to contemplate this. Seven reasons I wrote out on why God allows suffering. Please, please ponder this. Seven reasons. Don't miss it. Number one, when does God allow suffering to him? So that we can comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves have received. I'm going to say in 2 Corinthians 1, it's a phenomenal chapter in regards to pain, grief, comfort, healing, restoration, etc. I would highly encourage you to acquaint yourself with 2 Corinthians 1. But listen to what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able, check it out, to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that we ourselves have been comforted with by God. Five times. Five times. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who extends mercy and comforts us with his comfort so that when others are afflicted, we might be able to come alongside and help comfort them. You go, really? I I, I remember when Jolly, Jolly was this lady I met, A black lady, probably mid-60s. I was going through my shoulder surgery, and she meets me at the hospital. I didn't know she was going to meet me, and she didn't know she was going to meet me, and God kind of intersected us the day before I had surgery. I'm in Los Angeles, California. I'd never met her. She'd never met me, and we started talking and get on the elevator, and Jolly's like, Cash, do you believe in God? And I said, yes, ma'am, I believe in God. She lays hands on me and starts praying over me, and I'm like, this is a trip. I have surgery the next day. I'm cut open. And she comes through to my hospital room. I'm about three hours post-stop, and I'm laying there. and I'm like, I just met this lady yesterday, Jolly. Yeah, Jolly, she came in. I was like, wow. She goes, Cash, ever since I met you yesterday, God put you in my heart. I've been praying for you. I'm like, really? Yes, God's got a call on your life. And here I am, afflicted. Here I am, hurting. Here I am, going to be in this brace for three weeks. And she said, Cash, God's got a call on your life. He's raising you up to preach the gospel. I said, really? Yes, really. And she comforts me. She anoints me and prays over me. I'm like, where did this come from? It came from God. But I look back over those three arm surgeries and God Bring in a jolly into my life saying, Hey, I want you to know that your circumstances are going to turn out for the greater progress of the gospel. So I start ministering to professional athletes. And who do I deal with often, guys? Going through elbow surgeries, shoulder surgeries, knee surgeries. And he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm. I've allowed you to go through the affliction that you went through so that you could experience my comfort so that I could use you to come alongside and comfort others who are going through affliction. I would never have been able to identify with so many of the guys that I work with in the professional sports world if I hadn't have been, hadn't been afflicted myself, hadn't have been knocked down myself. And some of you have had life experiences where God is saying, don't waste your cancer, don't waste your pain, don't waste your rebellion, don't waste what you went through because I'm wanting to use you to comfort somebody else when they're going through pain. Some of you are wired to minister to people like, I can't. I can't. Some of you have, have, have Had to walk that kid off to that rehab. And I haven't done that. And I don't know what that feels like. But my buddy Mark that comes here. Was telling me what it feels like. And when Mark was going through all that pain and suffering. I walked with Mark. I didn't didn't empathize with him. Because I couldn't feel with him what he was feeling. But I could sympathize for him. I could feel for him for what he was going through. But then Mark and Debbie walked alongside another friend that was going through it recently. So God was using them to comfort somebody else that was going through something similar. And when we're able to lay ourselves on the altar, honestly, as living sacrifices, we allow God to redeem our suffering. That's what God wants to do. Why why do I suffer? Because I want you to come alongside and help comfort someone else who's going through This chaos, we're all going to hurt. Here's the second thing. Why why does God allow it, Tim, so that we can learn patience and endurance? Verse 5, 2 Corinthians 1 again. The sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. All that Christ suffered are ours in abundance. We look to Christ to find strength and comfort because he, he was God, but he suffered royally and greatly and great turmoil emotionally, mentally, psychologically, physically. We can look to Him. So also, our comfort is abundant through Christ. Just as we can look to Him and understand suffering, we can look to Him as the ultimate comfort in the midst of everything. Yeah, Jesus even said, it's to your advantage that I go away because I'm going to send the comfort-er. Really? I- I'm going to send the... Peace and presence of the Holy Spirit to take over your life when you're going through your junk. Don't waste it. Listen to what he goes on to say. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and for your salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Patient enduring. Do you know where you learn patience and endurance It's when you get knocked down, when you learn to fall forward. If you didn't go through adversity and turmoil and certain things in your life, you you would never gain and learn endurance and patience. Hey, you're going to be in a sling for three weeks. Really, it's going to be 18 months cash before you can throw a baseball again at a competitive level. I had to learn patience. When you go through pain, Barb's broke her foot, and she's walking with this boot on. You you can't do anything right now. You've got to be limited right now. And God has a way of slowing us all down and creating deeper patience within us. Come on. Anybody ever been through that? How do you learn endurance? How do you learn patience? It's by experiencing affliction. Here's a third one. This is huge right here. God allows suffering so that we will not rely on ourselves, but we'll learn to trust God. I'm going through what I'm going through so that I won't trust myself. Paul says, our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. We do not want you to be unaware of our affliction. Paul's talking about when they were in Asia, shipwrecked, all the stuff that happened to him. Hey, don't forget what we went through, the affliction. That we were burdened beyond our strength. God will never give you more than you can handle. That's crap. He'll give you more than you can handle, but he'll never give you more than he can handle when you plug into him. If we could handle everything we went through, why would we need him? We despaired even of our own life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death written within ourselves, so that, so that, I love circling words like so that, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but so that we would trust in God who raises the dead. Why do we go through what we go through at times? So that we can come to the end of ourselves, realizing our strategies, our agendas, our solutions, and our resources just are not enough. So that we would have to desperately depend on the Savior. If I can figure it out on my own, I don't need him. And he constantly reminds me, you can't do it by yourself. You're not good enough, Cash. And so we look at it and we go, why do we suffer? I'm telling you right now, the first three points right here. Dive into 2 Corinthians uh, 2 Corinthians 1, it is such a powerful text to know, to contemplate, to consider. You're going to suffer. Here's a fourth reason. So that we may praise God. Verse 11, he says, he will rescue us because you're helping by praying for us. And as a result, many will give thanks to God because... So many people's prayers have been answered. When you pray, when you intercede, when you walk with us, when you cry out on our behalf, and when God does something, others will glorify God because you have taken part in it. 1 Peter 1, in this we greatly rejoice, even though it is necessary for you to endure many trials for a while. These trials are only there to test your faith. To show that your faith really is strong and pure. You go through stuff at times to test your faith. Faith that has never been tested can't be trusted. Faith must go through the fire. First Peter 1. It is being tested as fire test and purifies gold. And your faith is far more precious to God and gold. If your faith remains strong after being tried by fire... It will bring praise, glory, and honor on the day when Christ is revealed. Why do I go through at times what I go through? So that God can be praised and God can be glorified. He's already got me to run out of myself. I can't depend on myself and rely on myself. I have to rely on God. Anything you're doing in your life right now, you must ask the question, does this glorify God? whether it's a relationship, whether it's an activity, you have to ask, does this bring praise and glory to God? I was talking to a friend this week, and he said, his wife battles alcoholism big time, and he told me this the other night. He said, she don't see anything wrong with it. You don't see anything wrong with it. It is destructive. It's killing your family. Does it bring praise and glory and honor to God? When we go through suffering, Am I glorifying God in my suffering? Am I glorifying God in my pain? Is God being elevated and celebrated? Is this really for the glory of God? Does this keep me in the will of God? Here's another one. Why do you go through pain and suffering so that the works of God may be displayed? John chapter 9. The disciples looked at Jesus and said, Who sinned here? He's talking about this guy that was born blind. And they said, Who sinned? The blind dude or his parents? Somebody's got to be at fault. And Jesus said, Neither. It's so that the works of God can be displayed and manifested. Sometimes when you're going through, what you're going through it's for the glory of God. I had to come to that realization. I, I want to glorify myself, Tim. And I'm going to use you as a donkey giving divinity a ride to reflect my goodness to the world. Who sin? It doesn't have to be there. It's so that God can be glorified. God can be praised. God can be exalted. Let me tell you. That's the reason the crippling message in our society of name it, claim it, blab it, and grab it doesn't work. There's so much theology out there today that if you've just got enough faith, you can have all the faith, but if God is wanting to use pain and suffering to show you, how good he is, and how strong he is to get you to a place where you no longer depend on yourself, but you have to lean into him, then he'll do it. And the believism of our day is eliminate pain, eliminate eliminate suffering, escapism. And God goes, no. I've seen some of the most godly people on the planet go through pain and stay just pressing into their faith, never experiencing a physical healing, experiencing the spiritual healing of being in God's presence, and they were totally locked into the king. Come on, this is so heavy, so good, so rich. We've got to get it. Who sinned? Neither. Why does he allow us to go through? Suffering so that our character will be developed. Romans 5, we rejoice and exult in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and endurance. And that brings about proven character, which brings about hope. And the hope of Christ does not disappoint. So Barb and I, we thought Benji was taking a sabbatical from tattoos. He's got seven, and we thought, oh, he's got seven. So he's telling us the other day about these Bible studies he's doing with these guys in the minor leagues with the Royals, and a couple of the guys wanted scripture tattooed on them. So he's like, Yeah, I found this place, and we went down, and the guys were going to get tattoos. And I said, And? He goes, Well, I was just sitting there for an hour and a half with nothing to do, and he's got Romans 5, 3, 4, and 5 tattooed right here. I was talking to him yesterday. He said, I'm going to tell you something. That one hurt. Bad, he said, but it is a constant reminder that I will rejoice at my tribulation knowing that tribulation is going to bring about perseverance, proving character, proving character. Why does God allow suffering? I'm going to develop your character. I care more about you as a person than I do anything. That's what we got to get. I care more about you as a person than I do an employee. In my profession, and a ball player, I mean, your, your character is crucial for who you are. Coach, we know that. As much as you've dealt with kids over the years, it's character. So that we can learn obedience is number seven. Don't miss this one. Hebrews 5.8 says, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. Who? Jesus. Are you serious? He learned obedience through the things he suffered. How do we learn obedience? Oftentimes, it's through suffering. It's through being disciplined. It was good for me that I was afflicted. That's what he says right here. Psalm 119, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Before I was afflicted, before all the suffering and pain and chaos, it is good for me that I was afflicted so that I may learn your ways. I know, O God, that your judgments are righteous and that in your faithfulness, you have afflicted me. I, I memorized that Psalm years ago where David says, it was good that I went through affliction because it caused me to press into you. I'm like, really? Yeah. So, so, so. Don't buy into the theology or the pharmaceutical solutions to minimize and trivialize pain when God may be wanting to use it to grow you, to groom you, to mature you. And I think we live in a culture that just wants to run from it, and God goes, Stop it. I want you to trust me. So here's my wrap Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Because I totally believe, based on my study of scripture, that nothing that happens to you by man can happen apart from God's sovereign will. God is in control. When you encounter turmoil, adversity, I'm not saying the stuff that is self-inflicted. I'm not going there. But when another person attacks you, another person comes against you, God has to permit it. I've made this statement before. We all say, I want to live the crucified, abundant life in Christ. Here's the reality. If you're going to live the crucified life, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it's not I that lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. If I'm going to live the crucified life, God will always use others to nail me to the cross. Jesus didn't nail himself to Calvary. God allowed others to nail him there. When we go through breaking points in our life. God oftentimes uses comments, slanderous attacks, and other things that people make so that we will press into Jesus and go, that hurt, I know. So be encouraged. His purposes are far greater than your circumstances right now. Your circumstances may be rough, may be tough, but he's sovereign. Now here's one of the things that I know. Suffering, again, levels the playing field. And suffering invites us to be authentically human with other people. Did you hear me? When a person is going through pain and suffering, it allows us all to be authentically human with others because every person here in this room has gone through pain and suffering. We can be authentically human with each other. Now, here's what I know. When you reach out and you hold a hand, and you put your arm around someone and you weep together. That's really good. Hey, I am sorry you're going through this. But reality is we will walk with you. We will struggle with you. One of the things that Nick and I talk about often is we want to struggle with you. We want to struggle well with you. But when a person is going through pain, sometimes Hannah, just taking that hand. I love you. Sarah just taking that hand. Lisa just taking it. And just saying, I'm here for you. That's good, right? Creating a safe place where people can vomit, confess, repent, and grieve. That's good. The cross Loganville is a place where restoration can happen, not elimination. We're not about eliminating people. We're about seeing people restored. So when you go through tough times, We want to be a place where you can repent, where you can hurt, where you can grieve. And after six plus years here, I know a lot of people's stories. And we can probably pair you up with another person that has been comforted with the comfort of Christ in the midst of the affliction that you're going through. See, see it appears to be good when you study Scripture and very noble that you walk through the dark of night with others who are hurting. Got any word for me? I'm me just here. Barb and I, years ago, when we first started like counseling with couples, remember she's like, What are you going to say? And I'm like, I have no clue. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I really don't know. Really? What, what are you going to say? I have no loaded gun. I have no, I don't know. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to do. When our friend Kathy's son was killed, we had only been here about 14 months, and he's killed, and she gets the phone, or she gets the knock on the door, and she calls us bawling her eyes out at 6.45 in the morning. We go over there. It's not, what are you going to say? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. We just go there and hug her. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Car wreck, pretty bad. I've got to go see my baby. And Barb and I drove and followed her to the morgue for her to, to unzip the body bag. I didn't want to do that. But she was hurting. Your presence. Your love. Your support. She's not looking for answers. She's just looking for a shoulder. And when we go through what we go through at times, that's what? That's what we can bring. Because suffering invites us to be authentically human with all others. Here's what we know. We're wrapping it. God is loving. I believe that. He loves us, he loves our family, he loves all of creation. It's his. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness there. He loves us. God restores all things. All of history points that God is a God of restoration, not a God of elimination. That God is a God of hope that can bring correct righteousness even into the midst of whatever you're going through right now. All of scripture points. He's a restoring God. He makes all things. He'll make it clean. Here's another thing I have to conclude when I lay my head on the pillow at night. I have to believe that God is, a pay, God is paying attention to every detail of my life, every detail of your life. I, I have to believe that he's not up there like vegging and going, I, I didn't see that one coming. I have to believe, God goes, I, I see what you're going through. And though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fear no evil, for I am still with you. Isaiah says, don't be dismayed. He's there. Listen, 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 there is nothing too broken that God can't redeem and restore. You haven't jacked it up too bad. You messed it up. There's pain, there's suffering, there's collateral damage, but I can honestly tell you with all my heart, you haven't jacked it up too bad. God made you. God loves you. God's for you. God's good. And when you plug into God, you can start to experience the goodness of God. I don't care how jacked up and broken your narrative is. If you will honestly cry out to Jesus and allow Christ to become the king and master and Lord and ruler of your life, he can restore you. He wants to redeem you. He loves you. And I plead with you with all my heart, get right with God. Know God. He's not a cosmic sheriff just waiting to blow you up. He's good. He's not a cosmic Santa. You just can't sit on his lap and do whatever you want and tell him what you want. He he doesn't work that way. He's God. He's righteous. He's holy. He's loving. But when you repent and you cry out, take over my life, he's good. He'll walk with you through every valley that you'll go through. God has given us one another to be agents of love, grace, mercy is we struggle. We're the tangible evidence of the presence of God when people are hurting. I take that to heart. And in the darkest moments, Jesus, he's as close as the very breath that we have. We've got a Savior that cares. He shows up again and Lazarus is dead and he cries. So whatever you're going through today, he cares for you. He'll weep for you. We'll weep with you. We'll hurt with you. We're going to move into a time of prayer and communion here in a bit. And it would be a great opportunity to to get right. I've got to know God. I can't do life on my own. I've got to surrender. It's time to sell out. It's time to get it totally right. And you're still going to battle and struggle at times. But we want to walk with you and struggle with you. We want to do that. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for what you're teaching us. Lord, I'm I'm, I'm with every person here. I hurt. I struggle. My heart breaks. It breaks over things that happen in my family, in my world, with my friends. We all hurt. All of history and the entire narrative of Scripture screams, you're a restoring God. You're a redeeming God. If we will confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe, we can be born again. We can be made right. We can have salvation. If we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness, Lord, that is so powerful. I believe that. I sit here today. Because of that, you make all things new. If you've never repented and surrendered, cry out to God now and just say, Save me. I need you. Take over my life. I repent. I need help. I don't even know what to do, but I need help. I need you to save me. I need you as my Lord and Master. You just say it. He hears our hearts. That was my prayer some 32 years ago. I'm jacked up. I was drunk the night before. I was wasted. God, I'm hurting. I don't know what to do. I need you to take over my life. Please save me. I want to know you. That was it. That's, That's where it started. 32 years later, he's faithful. You're good. And we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. If you're visiting, thank you for filling out the Connect card. Hey, please, please, please check it out. On the back of it, after you fill it out today, I prayed and asked Christ to be my Savior and Lord. If that's you, please, please fill that out and drop it in the bucket or one of the boxes on the walls before you leave. Tim, I'm not there, but I still want to talk to someone. Check that, Steve. We want to talk to people about this. And then there's other ways of next step and getting connected. Every week, we, we keep these giving envelopes in the bulletin for a reason. God's called us the first fruit giving. Here's some things I wrote down that I really believe with all my heart that when you make a financial investment into the life of our church here, You're you're making a statement that says, God, I I really do trust you and I want to honor and obey your principles that you've laid out in scripture. And I do believe in this church to reach people and to teach them and to train them and send them out into the world. What you're saying is, God, I trust you giving and releasing money to the kingdom. It's a biblical command, but when you do it, it's an act of worship. Every time we do it, April, it's an act of worship saying, God, I trust you. I believe you. I believe that you're good. And we've had these conversations. Jesus said, don't store up treasure here on earth where moth and rust are going to come in and destroy it. Store your treasure in heaven where thieves can't break in. And and there's something about laying up treasures, not only wealth, but prayers and sharing the gospel with other people. And, 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 And God is good. So thank you for your obedience. Thank you for joining us for the teaching here at The Cross Loganville. Let me encourage you to access our website, thecrossloganville.org. Tons of information. Uh, We'll answer many of your questions. Maybe you've been pondering what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ, or maybe just uh, some other issues you're going through, and you're like, uh, "I I need to talk to someone. We would love to help you. Contact us via email, info at thecrossloganville.org or you can call us at 770-554-3322. God bless you. Make it a great day.